All right, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning, Colossians chapter 2. Now, as we get started, I want us to ask a question, that, or I'm going to ask a question that I want us to think about. Why do we make such a big deal about church membership, church attendance, being part of a small group or of a Sunday school class? Is it just because that we want our numbers to look good? No, that's not, that's not it. The reason is that God has given the church as a very important blessing to our life as Christians. And we miss out on that blessing. We miss out on that benefit when we are not part of the church. And so in our passage this morning, uh, we're going to see some of the, the benefits or the blessings that Paul lays out of being a part of the church or being uh, uh, with a church. Remember, Paul was writing to this church in Colossae that is um, uh, struggling. Uh, they had Paul did not start the church of Colossae, but uh, the one who did start it, Epaphras, has Come to find Paul. Paul is in a Roman prison at this point. Um, They have come to find Paul. They have kind of shared with Paul uh, what is going on. And Paul writes this letter to this church. And so as he writes this letter to this church, um, he is writing to encourage them of the importance of having the church and this Christian fellowship. So um, let's read the passage, then we will pray, and then we'll just kind of go through the passage verse by verse. 2 Corinthians, or sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you've given us. Father God, we thank you for the church. And God, I pray this morning, God, as we look at the the, the value and the blessing and the benefit of the church, Father God, that we would... um, Father God, that you would use this, God, to cause us to love your church more and also um, to understand our place in it and the importance of it in our life. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right. So the first thing that we see in verse 1 is being a part of the church means having others care for you. Now in verse 1, he says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. When Paul says that he is this great struggle that he has, um, this uh, word in the Greek carries with it the picture of uh, the struggle or the striving or the exertion that comes in uh, being involved in like a a serious sports competition or some kind of uh, um, uh, physical exertion that is strenuous and demanding. 
When Paul says that, uh, hey, I uh, struggle for you, this is not some kind of light concern that he has for the church. This is not kind of a, a, a five-word prayer saying, God, please bless this church uh, that, that he has on his heart. Paul looks at this church, this church that he has never met, this church that he has never been a part of. But he knows they're a church. He knows their faith. He knows their works. That's how he started off the book of Colossians. Look, I've heard of your works. I've heard of your faith. I've heard of how God has used you and how you were loving other people. I've heard of this. I am burdened for you. And I struggle for you. I pray for you. I am concerned for you. And this is not anything light. This is a a strong, burdensome prayer, praying that God would be at work in this church, that God would protect this church. Remember, uh, in this region, there began to creep some false teachers with some false doctrine. That's why Epaphras went to Paul in the first place. And Paul, understanding this, Paul, understanding the danger that comes with false doctrine, the danger that comes with false teaching, Paul understands this. And Paul, knowing that danger, is concerned for them and cares for them, and he struggles with with that, by praying for them, not just light prayers, but prayers with depth, prayers with emotion, prayers that, that take energy for Him. In, uh, I believe it's 2 Thessalonians, Paul goes through this, this 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. Paul goes through this list of things that, um, that he considers um, Things that he has had to pay or struggle with because of his call to preach the gospel. He talks about being uh, stoned. He talks about being left for dead. He talks about being imprisoned. He talks about all this stuff that he has suffered. And at the end of that list, he says, on top of all that, there's the daily concern for the church. Paul looks at the church and he loves the church so much that he is concerned and cares for its well-being to the point to where he raises that up with, with importance and with the, um, the, the, the measure that he goes through that with the same as being stoned and left for dead or thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. The church and loving the church and caring for the church is incredibly important for Paul. What's interesting, too, is Paul talks about how he had never seen them face-to-face, them or this other church in Laodicea. And yet he is still concerned for them. As the reason is there is a bond between believers. Whether it's us here in Corning, whether it's uh, believers in Africa or in Asia or in South America, there's a bond that, try, that, that ties us together that is greater than anything else. And that bond is, that bond is Christ. So Paul looks at these other believers that he has never met, that chances are because Paul's in prison, and this is getting towards the end of Paul's life, Paul might not ever meet them. And yet Paul says, I love you, I care for you, I'm concerned for you, and I struggle for you, meaning I pray for you. I don't want to see you be drawn away by false teachers. I don't want to see you fall off into sinful temptation. I want to see you love God and walk with Him and follow Him. And so that burdens my heart. There's a bond there, not because they have things in common, not because they were buddies or pals. The bond there is Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this as I was studying, and I think about myself and thinking about here in Corning. I've never once gone hunting. I haven't been fishing since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. 
I'm not necessarily your, your outdoorsman. I like going to the gym and lifting weights. I like doing graphic design on the computer. Uh, I like uh, reading occasionally. Yet there are... When I came to this church, which is a farming community, I've never been on a farm in my life. There was instant friendships and instant relationships. And me and my family feel more loved and more connected to this church maybe than almost any other church that we have been at. It's not because we're all Razorback fans. And it's not because we all uh, shoot big, big bucks. It's not because we all like uh, catfishing. The reason is because of Christ. He binds us together and that creates friendships and that creates relationships and that creates caring for one another and being concerned for one another because we are united in Christ. So as Paul writes this letter, he talks about this bond and being bound with each other. And so as a church, because of our uh, being bound in Christ, as Paul struggled for this church, as he strived to see them do what was right, as he strived to care for them, as he strived to love them, we are to do the exact same thing. We are to strive for each other, to to hope what is best for each other, to, to aim for what is greatest for each other. We are to hope and pray for one another and encourage one another and challenge one another to walk with God. We are to, to be there for each other when we struggle because we are united in Christ because we are a body together we are the bride of Christ together there is a a bond for us that we are to love and be concerned and care for one another in every situation when Josiah was born um, two months ago ten weeks ago I don't know Jessica's better at that than I am but when he was born um Jessica had a C-section. They took him to the the nursery. And before Jessica even got to see him, they had put him in a box and were getting ready to put him on a helicopter to take him to Memphis. And so in that moment, Jessica and I had to make a decision. She still had to stay in the hospital. I had to get in my car and drive to Memphis, uh, leaving my wife, who had just had major surgery, uh, going to see my son, who was being medevaced to another hospital because of some, some issues at birth. Yet, I can be honest with you, I told Jessica this. We had sent out prayer requests to, to the church. I'd sent it out to other, uh, other friends of mine who are uh, uh, pastors to, to kind of spread to their churches. And that whole drive, there was no fear. All there was was peace. And I knew the, the, the importance of the situation. I knew how bad things could potentially be. But because people were praying, I 100% believe that God used that because the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ were struggling, were striving for me and my family, that God used that and blessed that. And in a moment when I probably should have been just freaking out, God gave me perfect peace in the midst of that time to where there was no fear. All there was was trusting that God was in control. That's what being a church is about, that we care for one another. We struggle for each other. And not even just those that we know. Chris Wallace, y'all met him one time. He has gone to a, a North Dakota to, to start a church, to plant a church that, that chances are the majority of us in this room will never meet anyone in that church. Yet we give money to them. We pray for them as a church monthly. 
We have a goal set for Lottie Moon so that we can give to missionaries around the world, people that we will never meet, never see face to face as Paul talked about. Yet we still care, we still pray for them, we still are concerned for them, we still struggle and give for them. Why? Because we are united, not just in Christ, but also in the goal that Christ has given us of spreading the gospel across the world. And so as the church, we struggle for the church. We struggle and we pray and we give and we are concerned for other believers. And that is because of Jesus. We don't have a church just so we can kind of come and hang out on Sundays and Wednesdays. This is not a, a social club. This is a gathering of people who have been changed by the grace of God to love one another, to care for one another, and to take the gospel out to the rest of the world. That's the part of the, that's 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 what the church is for and the blessing of the church is that we are not alone and God has surrounded us with a family to care for us and be concerned for us. Secondly, we see in verses 2 and 3 that being a part of the church places us in God's plan for spiritual growth. He says in verses 2 and 3 that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. All right. So in verse 1 he says I want you to know that I'm struggling for you. And then in verse 2 he says that. So he's telling them the reasoning of his struggle. Now he gives two reasons so this is the first. And the reason for his struggle first is to encourage them. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. I struggle for you. Why? So that you may be encouraged. Now, understand that Paul, as he's writing about this uh, encouragement, this is not just hey, a, a pat on the back saying, hey, uh, good job, keep in there, keep fighting, win one for the gipper. This is not just some kind of uh, light encouragement. Paul looks at this church and he looks at this area and he, he hears these uh, reports from Epaphras that, that false teachers are moving in. So Paul wants to encourage them. Paul wants to lift them up because he knows the dangers that false teachers can bring with them. Now, understand when we talk about false teachers, when we talk about false doctrines, sometimes I'm not sure we fully grasp why that's such a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. There's kind of two things that false teachers bring with them, or two ways that they, they impact the faith uh, uh, of believers. One, false teachers bring about a false view of God, or a false view of Jesus. And so they present this false view of God, or they present this false view of what Jesus had done. A lot of what uh, Paul dealt with were, were Judaizers who said, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to earn your salvation by doing all this other stuff. And so if someone is trusting in their works and not Jesus because of a false teacher, that impacts their eternity. That's a, a pretty big deal. When it impacts how you trust God and how you worship God, that impacts the very core of our faith. Remember, we've talked about, and we're going to see it here in a second too, but we've talked about how our faith is not based on us believing harder. Our faith is based on who God is and trusting in Him. And the more we understand of who God is, the more we are encouraged and challenged to trust Him more. And that's how our faith builds. So if we are, are, are sold a false view of God, that that impacts the very base, the very nature, the very foundation of our faith. A second way that it impacts us is oftentimes um, these false teachers kind of came in with one of two ways. One, they came in with, with a ton of rules that said, look, you've got to follow all of these rules to do what is right or to be right. And if you don't follow all of these rules, then you're messed up. 
It's kind of like Mormonism. It's a religion based on, on how good you can be. All rules do are bring guilt and shame because we can never live up to all the rules. Rules don't bring grace. All rules bring our condemnation. Jesus brought grace. That's why there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because He obeyed all the rules. He did what we never could. Then He died for us to give us life. So false teachers, one thing they bring with them is a bunch of rules that bring nothing but condemnation. The other thing that they can bring on the other side of the spectrum is they say, look, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, there's this whole, like, the flesh isn't really the flesh, or the flesh isn't real. It's only the spirit that matters. But they would come in and say, live how you want to live. It does not matter. Basically, do whatever you want to do. God has forgiven you. Grace is just kind of a, um, a gateway that says, hey, go do what you want to do and, and say a prayer at the night, and God will forgive you. But, but live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. Sin how you want to sin. It doesn't matter. Now, we understand that both of those are wrong, that we can't just go and embrace sin because God has said, if you love me, then, then, then that's not your lifestyle anymore. We also understand that setting a bunch of rules only brings guilt and condemnation. And so when false teachers come in, not only do they impact our understanding of God and our faith, but they also impact how we live and how we engage with the world around us. The reason why Paul writes so... Um, concerned and so strongly when dealing with false teachers is he understands that if you listen to a false teacher, if you buy into what they are selling, then it can obliterate your entire faith. It can obliterate everything you know about God and, and how you live to honor Him. And when it comes to a Christian and living a life to glorify God, it can, it can be incredibly destructive to our faith. So Paul writes, knowing that this struggle that they are going through. And then he writes knowing that, or he bases his encouragement on truth. He doesn't base his encouragement just on an ice pad on the back. He bases his encouragement in truth. Honestly, <clears throat> verses 15 through 29 of Colossians chapter 1, it's where, Jesus, where Paul talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. Uh, talking about how Jesus' greatness, that He is preeminent above all else. Talking about how we were once alienated and hostile, but He has reconciled us. Paul is kind of setting the stage for this encouragement, reminding them of who Jesus is and what He has done. His encouragement is not just, hey, you've got this, pal. You're doing great. You can do this. I believe in you. His encouragement is, go back and look to Jesus. When these false teachers come in, when this temptation comes your way, when this difficult time comes your way, look to Jesus. Trust in Him. Be captivated by Him. Be engrossed in Him. And that was the basis of Paul's encouragement. It wasn't just emotional. It wasn't just nice words. But it was based in the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So he writes that they may be encouraged. But then he tells them kind of what he wants them to be encouraged in or where that encouragement comes from. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. How? Being knit together in love. As believers, we are unified in love. 
We are unified in the love of God that He has shown us through Christ. It is Christ and the gospel that that draws us together, that unifies, that ties us together, the love of God. But also, God has given us a commandment. God has given us a call to love other people. Jesus said that we are to love others the way that we have been loved. So with the love that God has shown us, we are to show that love to others. John says uh, that uh, people will know that we are Christ's disciples by our love. Love is incredibly important in the life of the believer. To love God is the greatest commandment. To love other people uh, is the second greatest commandment. We are united together in love. United that we have been both, uh, that we have all accepted the love of Jesus Christ, and united in the fact that we are to love one another and be concerned with one another. So he writes that they may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And here's what we might not think about a lot of times when we think about this unity, when we think about encouragement, when we think about. Um, being part of the church or its essentialness, essentiality, I don't know, it's one of those words. It says, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So what does that mean? Being unified together as a church, being a part of the church, being a part of the body, is essential to our spiritual growth. God has not created us to live alone by ourselves as believers. God has created us to live in fellowship, to live in community, to live in in, in, in harmony with other believers. That we are bound together. And if we forsake that, then that impacts impacts our spiritual walk. Notice Paul says, let me find it. Okay. He says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. The purpose of being encouraged and knit together in love is to reach all the riches of what? Full assurance and understanding. Full assurance and understanding of what? The knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul lays out here that if we are going to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, not only our knowledge and understanding, but also our assurance, our trust, our faith in Him, that it is tied back to that uh, being knit together in love. That the unity that we have in Christ, being brought together as a church, being bound together as a church, impacts our relationship with Jesus. Now, can you be a Christian and not go to church? Yes. Church attendance does not um, affect your salvation in the sense that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Church attendance would be considered a work. We're not saved by going to church. But... Can you grow with God and walk with God if you are not actively part of a church? You cannot. You cannot. Paul clearly lays out here that there is a bind, there is a tie here between our maturity in Christ, our growing in the richness and the full assurance of knowing Jesus Christ, to being tied together and unified as a church. If someone says, you know what, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be a part of the church, maybe 
and hurt. Maybe someone said something wrong. Whatever the reasoning might be, then you cut out a major part of you walking with God and it limits and it impacts your faith in a negative way. God has created the church or God has designed the church to be essential to our spiritual growth. This does not mean that the church is perfect. This does not mean that the church is scandal-free. This does not mean that everyone in the church is sinless or has their life altogether. But it means God has given us the church. And if we want to grow with Him, if we want to walk closer with Him, if we want to love Him more and trust Him more, the way God has created things, the way God has made things, is that we are to be in unity in fellowship with other believers. That we can have people to pray for us, people to strive for us, as Paul just talked about, people to hold us accountable with truth, um, which we we're going to talk about, people to encourage us with truth, which is kind of the basis that Paul has set already. All of this is with the church. And there is a, a tie-in that you have probably seen, if not experienced, uh, that when people leave the church, it's either because of sin, they've in, engaged in some kind of sin, and they don't want to be around the church because ultimately it convicts them, Or people leave the church, and as they get away from the church, they find themselves getting farther and deeper into sin. There is a relationship between how we live for God and our activity or our connection to the church. I don't know if everyone likes that statement or everyone likes that thought, but... That's what Paul says here. That if you want to grow with God, you have to be part of the church. And if you're not part of a church, you're not going to grow with God. Same thing with the Bible. If you want to grow with God, study the Word of God. If you don't study the Word of God, you're not going to grow with God. They are tied together. We need God, but we also need each other. We need the unity that God has given us in Christ. And then in verses 4 through 5, he closes out by showing us that being a part of the church gives us added protection from false doctrine. He says this, He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So this is the second reason or second purpose of Paul struggling. The first was their encouragement for their unity. The second is for their protection. Remember, false teachers are coming in. Paul is writing to hope or to write to to protect them that they might not be deluded uh, with plausible arguments. So what does that mean, being deluded from plausible arguments? In the Greek, that word plausible actually kind of comes across more as the idea of reasoning without demonstration. What that means is it's a bunch of words with no truth behind it. It's a bunch of words with just air and emptiness behind it. In, in, in some Greek legal text, the, the word was used of people who would be caught stealing things, and yet by, by uh, trying to be uh, quick-witted or sly-tongued, they would try to convince uh, the judge and the juries to allow them to keep what they had stolen, even though they were guilty. It's this idea of people using fancy words or, or persuasive words when there is nothing real behind it. So Paul writes, encouraging them that they might not be deluded by plausible or by empty, false arguments. 
Basically, don't buy into the lie. You're being sold a bunch of lies with these false doctrines. Don't buy into it. Now, I just want to make mention of this because in the back of someone's mind, it might be that thought of, well, if the truth is so great, if Scripture is so great, if what Jesus has told us is so great, why would anyone uh, buy into any other false arguments? And it's not that the truth has, is lacking in power. It's not that the truth is not good enough. The problem is with us. The problem is that we are weak. The problem is that we are frail. The problem is that if we are not tied to the Word of God, if we are not connected with a church that teaches and preaches the Word of God, then we are going to be susceptible to to false truth, to false doctrine, to lies, not because the truth is not valuable or strong or powerful, but because we are weak. And the farther we get away from the anchor of God's Word, the farther we get away from the anchor of the church, the more likely we are to give over to false doctrine and false truth, to buy into the plausible arguments, the empty arguments made by false teachers or made by false philosophies or made by a culture that has rejected God. The church is essential to our faith in Christ. Well, not to our faith in Christ. The church is essential to the growth and the maturity of our faith in Christ. Catholics say that the, the, the church helps bring salvation. We don't believe that. We believe salvation is through Christ alone. But maturity in Christ, the church, you have to have it. You have to. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no other way around it. That God has given us the church as an incredible blessing. Not a bore, not a chore. God has given us the church as a blessing to encourage us, to lift us up, to have others to care for us, and to help tie us together and give us that anchor that keeps us from being pulled away from the dangers of false teachers. So here's my question. I know all of y'all are at church this morning, so uh, some might say this is preaching to the choir. But why do you come to church? Don't answer out loud, just think internally. Why are you here this morning? Is it for a meal? That's great. Is it because just kind of this is what you do on Sundays? This is what you do A couple of Sundays a month, this is just what you do. You come to church, it's just kind of how you were brought up. It's just just what you do. Or are you here because you understand that that you want to love God and follow God and that God has, has given you a body to do that with? Are you here just on Sunday mornings? Are you in a Sunday school group? Are you here on, on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights when it's 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 honestly it's a smaller group? What is your commitment to the church? God has given us the church as a beautiful blessing. But when we choose not to be involved, when we choose not to serve, when we choose to distance ourselves, when we choose to keep walls up, when we choose to to not be a part, but maybe just sit on the outside looking in, then we miss out on so much. And it impacts our faith and it impacts our walk with God in incredible not positive ways. God has given us the church. Let us take advantage of this incredible gift, this incredible blessing that God has given us. Let's pray.